I want to begin with a reading uh, from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Philippians, chapter 2. And I'll start from verse 5. It says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Again, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. But here's his mind, all right? His condition is, he's the living God. And he could have chosen equality with God as the basis of his actions. But instead, here's what's going on in the mind of Christ, which mind ought to be in you. But instead, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. All right. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. But he comes in the likeness of men. And this is the revealing of the mind that he had when he was in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, number one, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Number two, he became obedient. Humility, obedience. Became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also, having highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you've already obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his pleasure. And here's an admonition about an attitude that accompanies this mind. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, 
I want to focus on some things here. Have this mind. It's actually, the word here for mind is the word phrena, P-H-R-O-N-E-O, phreneo, 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 phreneo. And it means two things. First, it means to think in a certain way. To think in a certain way. It's actually a verb. You would think it was a noun, but it is a verb. So when it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, it's saying, have the same mindset as Christ possessed. This is not like some esoteric concept. He's saying there's a thing to be done. And that is to align your mind with the mind of Christ, to think in a certain way. And the second part of it is to act, to be mindful in the way you act. So you act carefully, you act with regards to, you act with understanding. So what is it saying in a nutshell? It's saying you're intentional. Be intentional about imitating Christ. Be intentional about imitating Christ in his two basic things. He says, being found in the form of a man, number one, he humbled himself, even to death on the cross. And number two, he obeyed. He humbled himself and he obeyed. He is the pattern son. He is the pattern son. He came in the form of man so that he's reachable, he's touchable. He's in appearance like us. And when he came to be like us, he humbled himself. The word humble has in it the term hupo, H-U-P-O, which is the word to be under, under. Humility finds its roots in faith. What you actually believe. The word faith is the word pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. We get the English word, big word, epistemology from the word pistis. So uh, logi, L-O-G-Y, 
logi is the study of the thing, or it's actually the word, the word for word. It's the word about the thing. So epistemology is the logic of faith, the understanding that comes as a result of faith. So it means in English, we talk about an epistemology or a thing being epistemological. When we talk about that, we're talking about what are your assumptions? What are the assumptions on which you base your decisions? Faith then is a foundation consisting of beliefs. Therefore, our epistemology. Our epistemology is based in two principles. The first is that God exists as your father. Number one, God exists as your father. And number two, he will reward you with his presence when you diligently seek him. Again, God exists as your father. And number two, he will reward you with his presence when you diligently seek him. Now, our hope then the three greatest gifts, faith, hope, and love. Our hope then is in the certainty that God will meet you when you put your trust in him as your father and you diligently seek him. He cannot, allow me to use a double negative for emphasis. It is impossible for God not to show up when you put your confidence in him. It is impossible. Heaven and earth would pass away before God will not show up in your circumstances when you humble yourself and you obey. Hear me. This is the mind that was in Christ. He absolutely believed that God was his father, that God is his father, and trusted him with his very life. And that's what it says. He humbled himself even unto death, death on a cross. Humility there is not of the religious variety. You can spot people who are phonies if you only know how to measure what you're hearing. So some supposed Christian speaker or, or whomever who wants to sound like he is humble will say something like, 
you know, uh, this song I'm singing, God gave it to me. Or this revelation, God gave it to me. But I've copyrighted it. And if you infringe it on my copyright, I'll sue you. That's religious talk. Real humility is a mindset. It's a doing. It's like Christ. He humbled himself on the basis of what he knew was true. So what then is humility? Humility is your willingness to be governed in your actions by the things you know to be true. That's faith. It's also faith. That's your epistemology. So my question, just, just to be very direct, do you believe that God exists as your father? And do you believe that he inevitably shows up if you seek him diligently? Or is it a fool's errand? You may be wondering, what, what is he really, uh, what's going on in his head? What's going on in my head is what I'm encountering the things I'm encountering, even in the house. I'm encountering it everywhere I go, and I'm encountering it in the house. I am stunned in some ways by how evident it is that some people have reached the limit of what they will, of their journeying with God. And they won't go any further. They've heard the word, so it's not a message, it's not a lack of information. It's that they will not humble themselves and obey. They will not humble themselves and they will not obey. More and more I'm talking to husbands. And the common problem is it's easier to point out the fault of the wife than it is for them to take up leadership in the house, say what is true, act as if it is true, and trust God to stand up in the, in the midst of their faithfulness and change their wives and their families. Instead, I've seen a growing bitterness against wives by husbands. But I've also seen the corresponding attitude of husbands refusing to lead. refusing to take up their places. It's so much easier to blame the wife and the kids. 
But if it's the father who's defunct, it's on him. It's on him. If you refuse to adopt the mind of Christ, everybody under your rule suffers. Now, where wives are concerned, if you refuse to adopt the submission to Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, you refuse to do that, then the tension and the chaos will remain in the house. What then does it mean to have the mind of Christ? The example is how he trusted that God would raise him from the dead. So whether you're a husband or a wife, whether you're a child in the house, and here I'm focusing upon families in a way, because this is the cradle for change. And why am I telling you these things? I'm telling you these things now to prepare you for the global chaos that is coming and even now has come. God designed a way for us to go through these times. God knew these times would come and he designed a way for us. If you like, he designed a ship to put us in. And he put a helmsman, or he put helmsmen, because there are different houses represented by ships. So in a sense, I'm bearing down. Uh, you might even say that I'm in the weeds today. I'm, I'm getting into, uh, I'm getting into the household behaviors today, because I'm seeing it. I'm seeing how ingratitude and entitlement are still vestiges of mindsets, even in the household. See, entitlement is basically Entitlement is about love as a transaction as opposed to love as a relationship. Let me explain. I'm hoping to assault bastions of resistance that yet exist in the house to adopting the mind of Christ. A transactional relationship is this. If I have done what you expect me to do, then I am entitled to a particular result. People do that with each other. But I've come across certain ones who even do it with God. And upon examination, that wouldn't be true. They're not even obedient 
to what God is saying, let alone having a right to assert privilege against God himself. Transactional relationships may be defined as this for that, quid pro quo. That was not the mind of Christ, was it? He could be equal with God. When he came to the earth, first he took on the form of a bond servant. Now that's a different kind of servant. A bond servant, let me tell you just a little bit. I won't go into a great deal about the bond servant. The bond servant was a slave, formerly a slave in the house of a certain master who had done something that resulted in receiving his freedom, whether he had purchased his own freedom or he had done something for such, that was of such benefit to the family that the gratitude of the family was poured out in giving him his freedom or he had accomplished something that had brought great honor to the family and was given his freedom. One way or another, a bond servant used to be a slave. But having been free, he had already considered himself to be of this house. And even though the master of the house was his master, he really didn't view him as a master in the master-slave connection. He viewed him more as a father and himself as a son. So in the mind of the former slave now free, he belonged to that house in the fashion of a father and a son, or son belonging in the household of his father. So to show that he was free, the master of the house would lead him out of the house. And he'd stand on the landing, so to speak, of the house. Then he would return and because they would know what he was about to do, the equipment would be there for him to do it. He would take a nail and, and he'd hold the lobe of his ear to the, to the post of the house. And with some assistance, he would drive the nail through his earlobe and impale himself to the post of the door of that house. What he was saying is, I will listen to the father of the house. I will speak as the father of the house speaks. When Jesus took on, when Jesus took on the form of man, though he was God, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. 
in the house of God, though he owned the whole house, he chose only to hear and to say what God was saying. That's the word bondservant. He nailed his ear to the house of God as a sign and a token that says, I will only hear from you, Father. And I will only speak what you have spoken. That's the term obey. First, he humbled himself because he was free. He chose the form of a slave. And secondly, he chose the, abject, the most abject form of obedience. And that was one who made himself a slave who was not otherwise a slave. That tells us something of his epistemology, doesn't it? See, that tells us something about his mind. He didn't just have a thinking process. He compelled himself to see and to act in the fashion that was identical to the ways of his father. Identical to the ways of his father. That, you see, is not transactional. He did not, it wasn't robbery if he had chosen to assert his privilege as God's equal, because indeed he was very God. But instead, he chose to humble himself and to obey. The metaphor of that, the thing that captures that picture of humility and obedience is bond servant. That was what was in the mind of Christ. He choreographed his mind to reflect humility and obedience to the Father. This was the fashion in which he was at rest in God. This was the fashion in which that described his position of Tatimi. So when he actually died on the cross and was buried in the tomb, it was the picture of a life that he had already lived. That is why this stone in front of the sepulcher is the metaphor for the word faith. So when we're told to take the shield, actually it's a metaphor for the word shield. Take for yourselves the word, the, the, the shield of faith. The word for shield is the word uscuro, which is to obscure or to extinguish. Take to yourselves the shield of faith with which you may extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked. One of the meanings of the word shield is the stone in front of the sepulchre. So having lived a life as a bond servant, up to and including death on a cross, God put him in the picture of the shield of faith, put him in a sepulchre and closed it up so that 
death itself could not prevail over him. And then, because in that condition of Tatimi, God inevitably raised him up from the dead, which is the histemi of God, how God raises you up. Jesus put it all on the line. This was not transactional. When you're brought to death, you can't negotiate anymore. When you're brought to death, you can't do anything anymore like you used to. But he died a long time before he actually was buried. Died a long time before he died on the cross. And what I'm harping on, hammering away on today is let this mind be in you. Clothe yourself. Clothe the spirit of your mind with this mindset. Because what it says is there is nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. I have not retained the right to save myself. When you do that, what you in fact have done is you've given God your body for his habitation. And less and less do you assert any right to any usage of your body as a standing norm. But this is the mature believer. Do not fool yourself if you're not heading in this direction, but insisting on things going back to normal or things going your way or what you're entitled to that you're disappointed about, whether from a wife, children, workers, or God himself. If you're not heading in this direction, you remain a child. You remain a child. This is the way children are. And God will not entrust any measure of significance to you regarding the administration and rule of his kingdom because you're unqualified. What is he coming for? What is the Lord Jesus Christ coming back? What is the glory of all the ages? Why did he create the heavens and the earth anyway? For one outcome. One outcome. A man in his image and likeness. A corporate man. Variously analog analogized to as the body and the head. And perhaps the principal reference is the bride and the husband. That's what he's coming back for. That's the harvest of the earth. When God planted the seed of mankind in the person of Adam who contained all of mankind in himself, 
This was the seed he planted and this was the crop he would inevitably reap at the end of the age. It was necessary for Christ to come to be the pattern for the sons of Adam born again in the image and likeness of Christ. This is it, this is it. This is the gospel. My beloved brethren, this is the gospel. It's not the folly we've been raised on. Give me your hand, give God your heart and join the church of your choice. That's Baptist theology. The fact that the thing has been popularized doesn't make it the truth. The fact that there are important figures who make the thing popular doesn't make it worthwhile. And the wheels are coming off of that. Because there's nothing in that that can sustain godliness. No more than Kirill in the Russian Orthodox Church could be the picture of divine rectitude when he is the support behind the order to kill Ukrainians. It's all coming to view. I was thinking about the state of Texas is probably definitive of the doctrine of law and order. And in Uvalde, Uvalde is somewhat like the law and order doctrine, it's somewhat like Napoleon at Waterloo. So it all came to, it's where the illusion of law and order came to an end. Where the, where the bravado associated with machismo, law and order, deconstructed, it ran aground in the most pitiful way because it was little kids in school. And there's no badge big enough to hide behind when you've mishandled the lives of children. It's not because of sentiment. It's because if there is any meaning to the term, terms protect and serve, it is glaringly applicable to small children. And that comes at a time when the nation is caught up in the fight once again over Roe versus Wade. These are not just convergences of highly charged things. This is what it looks like when a system is coming apart. How many times have I told 
that we as a nation do not have any basis for being a nation other than our institution. We don't have 5,000 years of history like the Chinese or common culture. We have an institutional way of living. If you dismantle the institutions, what is the result? You dismantle the nation itself. I prophesied these things, my goodness. Don't you remember when I prophesied this when Bill Clinton was, on the, was, was being indicted? And when he went through the impeachment process? Way back, I was in Big Spring, Texas on a Sunday morning, speaking at the Living Water Church there. And I said, the exoneration of Clinton will result in the, and I called the message, judgment on America. And I said that this judgment will take the form of the dissolution of our institutions. That's how you judge a nation that has thumbed its nose at God. All these years ago, it took this while, it took this time for the wheels to come off. It did not happen at a time independent of what Jesus prophesied about wars and rumors of wars and so on. It happened within that time. And it took time. But it's what's happened. God is my witness. I've tried to steer the ship by the, by, the, by the bright and morning star. One who shines from the heavens. I've coveted no man's gold or silver. We gave everything for free. So that we disconnected a profit motivation or self-promoting motivation from the world. I understood the danger of those things. God warned me early. And I believe I've been obedient. Now, these are times that are as dangerous as I'm telling you. But God all along prepared a ship, put you in it, and ordained a helmsman to steer it by the morning star of heaven, by the word of the Lord. You will be fine. You will be fine. Whatever needs to be Cast overboard will be cast overboard. There's some things that will, will be lost in the process, but you will not. Pay attention to what you're hearing. If the word spoken from heaven is neglected, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. I am concerned, though not distressed, 
about the remnants of a transactional mindset, yet in the hearts of many, of some, I don't know how many, but enough that it's raised an alarm with me. When you find yourself in tight places, <clears throat> do not be asking yourself. And I've said this before a long time ago, but there's an urgency to saying it again. Do not ask yourself, why me? The clothing of victims is unsuitable for you. They're like filthy rags. God exists as your father. God exists as your father. No matter what your circumstances are, that is your lodestone. That is your true north. God exists as your father. And if you will diligently seek him in every circumstance, he will stand up in your circumstance. Whether or not you're seeking him will be obvious by the way you view things. If you view a re the relationship to God as transactional, you will always see yourself as a victim. Your question will be, why me? But if you see God as your father and you're diligently seeking him, your question will always be, what are you saying? And it'll turn in your heart from anger toward God and your situation being viewed as tragic and terrible. It'll turn from that to one of thanksgiving because you see as God would have you see. That's why we admonish to give thanks in everything because it's the will of God concerning us. I want to move it to a conclusion with this from Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1, 1 and following. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be conformed no longer to the pattern of this world, the way this world thinks. But be, tra but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Intend that your mind be renewed by the pattern of Christ Jesus. Then, then, your mind is renewed. Then you will be able to test and to approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God in every circumstance. That is my counsel to you. Revisit how you're thinking with the understanding that there ought to be a closer alignment to the mind of Christ who was obedient having previously humbled himself. This is the mind of Christ. And it's a doing. It's not a mental state so much as it is, it's a pressing into, a turning away from, and a pressing into, turning from the mind of this world, the mind of self-preservation, the mind of privilege, the mind of entitlement, the mind of me first. Turn away from that. I beseech you, turn away from that. Humble yourself in the fashion of a bond servant. You could be free, you could act on your own, but choose the hearing of God, and the speakings of God. Humble yourself and obey, obey. There's still people who are struggling with tithing, for example, who cannot find it in their hearts to obey. What's so difficult about that? It, it, it releases you from the mindset of the sweat of your brow. It positions you in the economy of God, knowing that God exists as your father. I, I'm not going to dwell on that. I've made the point uh, sufficiently that it needs to rest on its own. But it's an example of how The lack of obedience in easy things, things that ought to be easy, proclaims loudly the fact that people simply do not believe that God exists as their father. And when they're brought to death, he will resurrect them and seat them at his right hand, fully invested in the divine economy. There used to be a time when these things were just exhortations. Against a background of normalcy. Now I urge you. I urge you, I beseech you. Change the mindset. 
it is your survival. God promised you that he would deliver you from everything that is evil, and he will. But it requires you to clothe yourself with the mind of Christ, who is both obedient and humble to God, to God. Obedience and humility are to God, faith toward God. It's what God is saying. God is real. He exists as your father. And God cannot fail to show up. when you seek him with the diligence of one whose mindset is bent on changing. Today, I, I, like I said earlier in the broadcast, I kind of got down in the weeds because some things have come to my attention that are urgently in need of address. Pay attention to these things that you may live. The kingdom of heaven, and this is the last of it, and I've used this before, but I'll use it again because it's a recurring theme. Matthew 25, after Jesus had prophesied the great events at the end of the age, he says, then, then shall the kingdom of heaven which means in those days, an adverb of time. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. They who were wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They made sure there was no shortage. You know the story. They all slumbered and slept. When you're prepared, slumbering does not mean that you're a sluggard. means you rest in a state of preparedness. Five could do that. The other five just slept and they were the sluggards. The bridegroom at midnight was announced. And the wise arose like the foolish, but the wise could trim their lamps and add new oil, the reserve oil. The foolish realized at that time their folly. Their folly was being unprepared. This isn't about going to heaven when you die. This is about being prepared to go through the times that are ahead. If you're not prepared, Or rather, shall I say it differently? You owe it to yourself and to those subject to your rule to do whatever is necessary to prepare. 
and it's nobody's fault if you don't, and therefore have to face the consequence in the day of urgency. The day of urgency has come. You'd be foolish to think that it is going to go back to normal and be just as foolish to plan for things to go back to normal. All of your planning needs to contemplate the times that we now are in. And there is no possible way of navigating these times with the wisdom and ingenuity with which you used to be able to do things. You must change. Repentance, after all, is the repositioning of your mindset in that which God has revealed. So I commend you to God and the word of his grace that is able to build you up and to establish you amongst the sanctified. This is a sober word, not about the world today, but about paying attention to, taking careful inventory of where you are in this journey. And the reason I have done this is because I have seen so many examples of late. I haven't been discouraged by it, but I was alarmed by the prevalence of this level of neglect about, among people who should by now know so much better and should be so far ahead than they used to be. I hope you will determine God being your help. You will clothe yourself with the mind of Christ to any capacity that it may be lacking yet. Review this message at your leisure. I would even urge you to review this message with your family. honestly talk about where there are deficiencies. If you're the father, lead the discussion, paying attention to your own deficiencies. Thank you. We'll be okay. More than okay. We'll be fine. God will get us through these times. And it's not about getting to the other side where there are better times. It's coming to rest in the boat in the storm. 